Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. Whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or wherever and whenever you have the time to get updated. So, are you ready? Let's get into it. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Market Bites podcast brought to you by eToro. I am Sam North and I'm joined by Josh Gilbert. Josh, how are you? I'm very good, Sam. Very good. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good. For those watching on YouTube, first, like, share, subscribe and give us a podcast rating. But you'll also notice that Josh is in an England shirt today, England football shirt today. Where are you off to, Josh? I'm off to watch uh, England versus Australia in Australia as Itoro's Australian analyst wearing an England shirt. <laughs> so yeah, real mixed bag happened. there from from me today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you you've you've got allegiances either way today. Whoever exactly. wins, but uh, yeah, semi final Women's World Cup. So uh, that will be an interesting one. He's off to that very shortly. Uh, and also, this is a quick reminder for everyone who hasn't already joined the fantasy league that wants to the code is in the bio and the comments you've got to the end of august to join uh we've had uh, a busy one too many people so when i have a bad week i'm now like way down the list if there was like 10 people that joined at least i could say i'm top 10 but unfortunately not um you had a look at the ranking sam no i, I i'll look i'll look on on, on friday when i make my next decision because if i look now i'll end up you know doing load of decisions yourself do you need an update on on who's at the top of the league? Who is uh, top? Justin Vest? Yeah, oh, uh, jo- Josh Josh Gilbert. Are you top? Are you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> what was funny was um, my brother is in the league. He is also an avid listener, uh, and a big shout out to my brother. Actually, he is an avid listener of this podcast, and he's recently just had a little baby boy, uh, Jude Gilbert. So, congratulations, congratulations. to my brother. Um, he was he was top of the league uh, before going into Monday night's game um was it sunday night the the monday yeah the Man united monday wolves night. game yeah and then i overtook him and and now i've i'm at the top of the league so yeah wow. interesting that there's only one way to go from the top though josh um, yeah there's 37 yeah. games left isn't there <laughs> 37 <laughs> game weeks left so yeah let's see let's see uh well look uh subjects today other than fantasy football yeah we're going to talk about warren buffett's portfolio we'll talk about china and we'll also talk about retail earnings how's that sound yeah good yeah the three topics i think that are capturing the market this week yeah should be should be a good one um i mean that the first up we've obviously got a new update uh on warren buffett's stock portfolio i mean monday night most people probably were watching manchester united versus wolves to see who would finish the 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 first game week as number one but it also caused a bit of a stir on on social media on x Got to get used to calling it X now. It's moved mm. from Twitter. Uh, these changes were reported on Monday, uh, showing that the sort of the last three months, any changes that there had been. And there were some new positions, NVR, uh, Lena, 
DR Horton. Uh, the portfolio also did increase positions in some companies, Capital One, Occidental uh, as well, which we know he, he took a big bet on last year. They decreased positions in General Motors, Activision, uh, Globe Life, uh, Selenase and Chevron, and then sold out of a couple as well, uh, McKesson, Marsh and Vitesse Energy. Uh, it's quite interesting when this happens because obviously the next day you know if you hear warren buffett is either buying more or selling more or getting into a new position the market moves uh, and some of these stocks were were up considerably or down considerably based off whether he bought in or sold or whatever so that happened on monday but the main headline i think people are running with here is that um he's um increasing investments in the sort of the u.s house builders so the companies that i mentioned there you've got dr horton lenar and nbr so obviously this sector has sort of benefited from that lack of supply that we've seen this year but it did struggle greatly in 2022 so he's taking a bit of a uh, a bet on that that things are going to start to get better or continue to get better you know we had high rates that lowered demand but what we're seeing now is mortgage rates starting to cool hopefully that is the direction of travel now uh, and the pace of existing home sales uh, as well but the new home sales are fared relatively okay due to the limited supply that i've mentioned there so Barford buffett uh taking a bit of a bet on that uh, a deeper look into uh, Berkshire Hathaway shows they've already sort of gone into this field they've taken a lot of exposure already in the housing industry uh, flooring paint insulation roofing modular homes among the subsidiaries of of companies that they own not that they've done particularly well but if anyone knows you know Buffett he's, he's quite a patient investor uh and it looks like he's been building this position for, for quite some time uh just to know as of june the 30th uh it owned about 5.97 million dr horton shares that was worth about 726 million dollars just uh about 150,000 lenar shares which is worth 17.2 million dollars and 11,000 112 nbr shares which is worth 70.6 million so the filing does actually go on to say um or it doesn't say i should say whether buffett was the one that actually took these positions on uh and it might be that one of his port or one of his portfolio managers todd coombs or ted veschler uh actually took it i mean analysts who who follow Berkshire quite closely have generally perceived smaller stock purchases to be by these guys, uh, basically worth one billion or less, and that's what they call smaller stock purchases, which is mental when you think about it. Imagine that in your portfolio, sitting there and think, "Oh, I'll get my portfolio manager to manage that." It's under a billion, crazy, crazy. Uh, anyway, um, despite the the new investments that we we've so, sort of seen, uh, Berkshire was a net seller of stocks in the last quarter buying 4.6 billion selling 12.6 billion from its 353 billion dollar equity portfolio uh for all of 2023 berkshire has actually sold 18.4 billion more stock than it's bought which is pretty interesting uh and it won't surprise most people to see that their largest stock that they they own still is apple with 177.6 billion dollar state i saw a, a few people 
having a bit of a cheap dig saying because uh, it's I think it's like 50 percent of his stock portfolio that he's not diversified at all but you've got to remember Berkshire uh, Hathaway and Warren Buffett have their finger in many many pies so that's just within his stock holding uh, portfolio it's just like if you looked at someone's crypto portfolio they may well have 40 50 percent in bitcoin uh, but that's just a small part of their overall pie so he is still very much diversified yeah but it also comes down to that growth as well doesn't it it might yeah. be such a big part of his portfolio because apple shares have done so well and and the same with bitcoin you know bitcoin is yeah. probably if you bought bitcoin in 2016 it's probably 80 percent of people's portfolios now yeah. because of when you bought it so i think that's a an important point to know and for sure and it's quite interesting as well when we're talking about some of these companies that you know you know berkshire halfway are buying into if you're a ceo of that company you've got to be patting yourself on the back haven't you well you've got to be you know going into the the to the office in the morning going yeah mr buffett has bought his stock i have done something right you've got He's to be a smart man <laughs> yeah yeah you've got to be happy yourself and just you know, knocking on the door and say yeah that's my pay rise sort for the year yeah. um but look you know buffett's just a go isn't he solid yeah. five years 70% return for Berkshire shares in, in that time as well. Um, and I just think, you know, in, in terms of what you said there, you know, that diversification, he just has kept it simple over the years and, and stuck with those brands that, you know, have continued to sort of do well for him. The house builders is again, you know, a smart move. James Hardy Industries, which is a building materials company. Uh, they provide a lot to the US listed on the ASX of reported um, earnings this week, but shares are up 78% this year. So, as usual, Buffett is, um, you know, ahead of the game when it comes to to sort of these sort of market moves and and looking out for that. And and you also mentioned some selling there as well. And, and we had some other selling news this yes. week as well. Um, some news about the big short again this week. And those that would have seen the headlines, if you are, you know, anywhere near Fin FinX, FinTwit, uh, <laughs> Twitter, or basically read anything to do with financial media in the last few days, you would have known about the headlines flying in about Mr. Michael Burry, the man from the famous Big Short movie who is known for his big short on subprime mortgages in the US during mm-hmm. 2007 and 2010. The news is that he supposedly shorted the market with billions of dollars, but we want to clarify something here. It's not quite as it seems or as the headlines suggest. Michael Burry is not short $1.6 billion mm-hmm. on the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. Okay, that is the short answer there. Um, We don't even actually know if he still holds those positions because essentially these filings come out um, after the fact. So these are it's about 60 days since since that sort of report. Um, He may be doing quite well. He may have got burnt in that time. Who knows? You know, 30 days ago, a month ago. I think we had some pretty strong numbers from from those markets. So who even knows if he's in those positions? But for clarifications, when these financial reports are you know reported, they use notional value as a metric for market value. So it's not the amount that Burry had paid for the puts. So these are the options. So due to the way that those options are reported, that is that common misconception that the value is of 1.6 billion. But each option has the potential notional exposure of 100 shares of, of stock. So the value of each option is calculated as 100 times the value of the security. Um, so it certainly is a large position, but it is nowhere near the 1.6 billion that headlines have suggested. So when you actually look at the the value on the filings, it does equate to 1.6 billion. But again, 
it's not actually the the amount of money he hasn't bet 1.6 billion are uh, short on these assets um again it's that that notional value so just wanted to sort of clear that up and and uh, and again break down sort of some of the financial jargon that, that we do see in markets yeah, and no, I think the right thing to do, I mean, it was very sensationalised, those headlines. I did see some comments which made me laugh where it said, you know, chill out, everyone. Michael Burry, you know, give him his credit. He has predicted 50 of the last two sell-offs, um, <laughs> which made me laugh a bit. But look, listen, you know, we had, had now had two down weeks in a row for the S&P. I think it was breaking below uh, a key level yesterday, 50-day moving average. Um Listen, I'm also not too surprised. You also come into the back end of August. You've got Jackson Hole, September seasonality, not amazing. I wouldn't be against seeing it, it, it drift a little lower. I think we're already three and a bit off percent off the, the high of this year. I don't think it's panic stations just yet. Our next subject where things don't maybe look as rosy as the US this year is China, uh, which surprised markets a little bit this week, haven't they? I mean, you know, what have they done? Why have they done it? Uh, and how might the market react? Yeah, so I mean, it's been a huge year for China, and it's been a big week uh, already in in China. And it's only Wednesday, so when um, we get data from China, it's usually a dump, so you don't get sort of you know yeah. one lot of data. You get it all at once. So for context, to sort of put it this all into perspective a little bit, China's economic recovery has has sort of been faltering in recent months. We had that surge initially from the end of. The, the sort of the COVID zero era, um, which we saw like, you know, big spike in, in retail sales, this big expectation that um, they would just sort of buy commodities in bulk again. And, and we would see obviously lots of positivity. It hasn't quite worked out that way. And then we'll dial back to last week where it updated its CPI reading um, that showed deflation in the region. So um, inflation was deflation at 0.2%. Um, and that followed a mountain of weak data, and that has continued into this week. So we'll just focus on the deflation for the moment. And, and the worry that for investors about deflation is that it's the world's second largest economy, and that has global repercussions. You know, it's the biggest importer of lithium. It's the biggest importer of iron ore. It's the biggest importer of, you know, huge amounts of commodities globally uh, and also exports as well. So there's lots that China does and, and there's, you know, what China does has, you know, ramifications for the global economy, which is, is sort of really important. The slight good news is the economists are saying that they expect a rebound in inflation to occur next month. So to already pop out of that deflation um, and move back in. But you know, where we are, we're on the complete opposite end. So you've got, you know, the Federal Reserve trying to bring down inflation, whereas in China, you've got, you know, um, central bankers trying to bring up inflation. They've got a target of, of 3%. They're trying to bring it up. And for as long as you're sort of not at that target rate and you're below, say, 3% and, and you're close to deflation, you know, it's a worry because when you have deflation, it essentially is a, is a, is a spiral because consumers stop spending. They think they're going to get um they think they're gonna get you know a better deal on on products and, and it is you know it, it, it is worse in some cases uh than inflation so that's something to to sort of keep an eye on and then last week as i mentioned just a moment ago there we saw export and import data contract more than expected and then th this week we've had growth figures for industrial output retail sales and fixed asset investment all missing economist estimates as well 
Um, the big news was that just before that data was released, though, China's central bank un- unexpectedly, which is probably the key point, cut a key policy interest rate um, for the economy. So the cut was a surprise in some cases because the yuan has been under significant pressure this year, which is obviously the local currency. And essentially, obviously, a, a cut to, you know, a, obviously a, a key interest rate is is not good news for for a currency in that sense. And, and that is, you know, taking the market by by surprise. But this is what's needed. They need to basically provide more sort of fiscal stimulus. They need to stimulate this economy in order to to sort of sort of get it back on track to sort of reach its growth target. So for context, we're sort of talking about China that, you know, it isn't going to grow, but it is still set to see 5% growth um you know this year which is still the largest in in sort of the, the world's biggest economies so it's it's bad there but it's all not all that bad but you know again they, they've got to stimulate the economy if they want to reach those sort of targets um and then to add to sort of all of that we've sort of got these property fears that you know were a big talk of the market i think at the start of this year in the back end of last year as well that sort of you know spicing back up again property developers are at risk of sort of default um, and there was some fears over some missed payments as well. So I think to sort of summarize all of that, you know, there's there's plenty of pressure here to to sort of do to, to do more f- from these officials. And I think that is to sort of help the heavily indebted property sector and obviously give consumers more cash to spend, which is obviously the key point. You know, I think that is the most urgent goal is is to give consumers to give that stimulus out and to get people to spend. The response has been pretty muted so far. We've seen murmurs of stimulus measures. Um, we're moving in the right direction, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Finally, what does this what does this all mean for? Sorry, Sam. I'm just going to sort of put that last little spin on it in terms of what does it mean for for Chinese equities? Well, the Hang Seng is the worst performer in in the world this year, down six percent, um, and the rest of the world is is glowing green. Um, valuations have fallen significantly as well. So we're trading at nine times forward earnings. That's, you know, half of the S&P 500 at 20 times forward earnings. So there is plenty of risk there. But as I said just a moment ago, China is still set to see the largest economic growth globally this year. So I think contrarian investors are going to have their eyes very much on on those valuations, um, you know, and sort of keep an keep an eye out on on when to jump onto this because you know there's some there's some attractive valuations there for sure. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say how do you see sort of the Hang Seng because it has performed pretty poorly this year, but there will be some people out there that that feel it's a good area of value now, um, and the potential upside is is great. I mean, if you were to get in, you know, sort of short medium term longs now on the DAX or the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 or the CAC Coron or even the FTSE, the upside to sort of those all-time highs isn't nowhere near as good as the upside potential on the Hang Seng, for example. I'm not saying it is going to go back to those all-time highs one day. Uh, we've certainly seen a period where, for example, the Nikkei took, you know, that's nowhere near it. It took, I think, was 90 to 30 40 years to fill the, the gap between the 80s and 90s to, to where we are now so that can happen as well um for that equity market but i think it will interest a few people uh speaking of inflation earlier 6.8 percent we just got in the uk uh as of about 45 50 minutes ago from the time we're recording now um although core inflation did remain at 6.9 and services inflation actually rose to 7.5 
for. So maybe the headlines might suggest it's okay, but those in the UK, I don't think will be throwing a party just yet. Um, it feels like we haven't talked about earnings for forever. In reality, it's been one week. So let's go down this route. Uh, we're at the back end, I suppose, now of, of the earnings season, albeit for a lot of people next week on Wednesday with NVIDIA might be the most exciting one that we get. Uh, however, we do have some interesting names out this week walmart home depot and target have our attention uh what can their results show us this week and and i guess the next question is why should the broader market actually care about these names well first of all i think when we look at the broader market they should care because you know this is a a look into how the retail you know consumer is holding up you know spending how that's holding up and all of that is really important into gdp and just sort of the general economy as well. I mean, if we need sort of a leading indicator, I think we got it yesterday in, in retail sales data out of the US. The numbers were stronger than expected at 0.7%. That's, again, unlikely to reflect in earnings this quarter, but it gives us an idea that consumers are holding up well. And again, it's positive for that outlook, guidance, and you know, looking ahead to the next quarter. Um, Americans are maybe over leveraging themselves slightly credit card balances topped a billion for the first time ever according to data from uh, the fed i think that raises some questions about whether consumers can sort of afford to keep up those sort of spending habits at retailers um can they really afford to you know keep spending online keep going to stores or will they have to sort of cut back but we mentioned it just there and i mentioned consumer confidence that that is picking back up and and wages are now growing faster than than prices as well so those are two really important factors and then into those sort of names for walmart again we're looking at a consumer staple here so the, the consensus is for a decent quarter and i think the market will be focused on a recovery in its operating margin um that's going to be what a lot of the analysts are talking about and the focal points that's i think the key takeaway for investors I think the best news the shareholders can expect is a beat and then a raising guidance. You know, if you get both of those, the market is really going to like it. Um, and I think that could be something we watch out for along across all these names, especially after that stronger than expected retail sales number. The market expects earnings of $1.70 on revenue of $160 billion. There may be some worry, again, over inflation and interest rate pressures. Um, that's something to obviously keep an eye on across all of these names. But I think for Walmart, you know, groceries, what it, you know, its business focus and its core is staples. Uh, and, I, and I think that will, will sort of fare pretty well. You, you've not got as much discretionary spending there. And then Target is slightly different from Walmart. Um, it is more discretionary. You know, Walmart has 60% of sales coming from groceries. So there is a bit of a difference there. So on the discretionary side, I think analysts are expecting to see sales dip a little bit, especially for Target. Um, And if sales do drop for Target, it would be the first time in four years um, that they've seen that sort of quarterly decline with same store sales dropping to 3.1%. So again, it's had a really tough period. Uh, Discretionary names, you know, aren't, you know, especially Target aren't performing very well at this period. The share price has really struggled. It's down about 17%. Um, so far this year. So it's not a hot stock. Um, revenue is expected at 25.2 billion. So again, some numbers to keep an eye on there. And then you've got Home Depot. They actually reported overnight. Um, they had a beat on earnings, but results showed that consumers were pulling back slightly on those big ticket items. 
and weren't making any sort of major home improvements. So I think what we can take from that is we can take that into target and say, okay, maybe we're looking at um, those everyday bits that we need, but they're not going to be, you know, going for those big ticket items. We had it here in Australia, uh, JB Hi-Fi, which was, uh, you know, one of our biggest sort of electronic retailers, a, a pretty resilient, you know, full year for 2023, but fiscal year 2024 showed that, okay, well, actually, you know, we think the consumers are going to be pulling back on their big ticket spending. Can they really afford to be spending on a new TV at $2,000 when, you know, interest rate payments are so much higher on, you know, loans, mortgages, you know, credit card debt, whatever that might be. Um, and again, revenue and profit for Home Depot was down year on year. And, you know, given that they they said that, you know, they weren't spending as much money on big ticket items, forecast was pretty muted. They expect revenue for the full year to fall by three to 4%. Um, they essentially were saying that homeowners that were making big purchases already made them during the pandemic. But if they didn't, they're now going to hold off because of, as we said, then higher interest rates and inflation uh, sort of eating into to sort of budget. So from all three, you know, the market is absolutely right. Walmart is is faring the best and, and that reflects in the share price. It's gained 11% so yeah. far this year, the best gain across all three stocks. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I tweeted, do you call it tweet? I don't even know what you call it. I, I posted on Post, X, yeah. posted on X yesterday um, that we were going to mention Walmart, uh, Target and Home Depot and, and posted a chart for each one and and just looking at walmart like you said had the the best year it went up to his all-time high which we had at the, the beginning of 2022 it's rejected that though and i think ultimately as long as the share price stays above 153 bulls will be pretty happy obviously one to watch probably at the end of the week to see where we close uh for the target which of course is is way off those highs that we saw in in, in 2020 and 2021 uh, that's near a, a multi-year low. I mean, it's obviously near its low of the year. I, I think we really need to see, uh, if you're bullish anyway, uh, price get back above 139, which was support a couple of times this year before the recent breakdown below 127. And really, it's kind of watch out below. And we'd be looking at some of those lows that we saw from the beginning of the pandemic. And as you mentioned, Home Depot, uh, their results have come out uh, after hours training, of course, can uh trading of course can change by the time we get to the open but it's relatively flat at the moment it's quite mid-range over the last sort of few months i think the, the key level to the upside is three four three that's an obvious resistance level uh which we've tested multiple times already uh this w a year give or take um and as long as we stay above 302 i think the bulls will be pretty happy so three four three the one to watch there but um, yeah, could be an interesting close to the week. And I'd be very surprised if we don't talk about NVIDIA next week with their earnings. Um, Josh, as always, thank you very much. Hope you enjoy the football and England win. But by the time people listen to this, they'll already know the results. So uh, well, yeah, fingers crossed for you. Yeah, well, thanks, Sam, as always. And good luck to both teams. Let the let the best team win. Let's let's stay. Uh, I, I like I say, I have a foot in both camps here, but I'm I am English and I'm going to stick with the girls. But uh, but yeah, good luck to both teams. And uh, we'll update you all next week on what happens if you don't see the result. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. Safe trading. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.